Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salantano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com slash intelligence. Well, John, you wrote about a couple of things this week. You want to talk to talk to us about them? We're talking towers, Leslie. Um, that's uh, um, a topic that we we like to get involved in and we know a bit about. So, um, yeah, we had a, um, you know, we're in the midst of the uh, fourth quarter earnings calls. And uh, this past week, uh, U.S. Cellular reported uh, their year-end results, and American Tower weighed in uh, with its numbers as well. But the interesting thing about U.S. Cellular is that it's the last major mobile network operator. When I say major, uh, it's the largest regional operator, Um, but it's the last one of the, it is the last major to actually own and operate its own towers. You know, um, U.S. Cellular has an inventory of over 4,000 towers across its uh, 21 state operating area. And um, it uh, it is the prime tenant on most on all those towers. But they are also actively marketing space on those towers to uh, to other tenants. So, um, you know, their overall results turned out to be pretty flat year to year. But the tower business um, uh, continues to grow. So we saw that, um, uh, you know, they expanded their towers uh, uh, on a year-to-year basis, and they added new tenants uh, as well. So uh, their total annual leasing revenues grew 13% year-over-year to over $93 million. Uh, that compares to, you know, uh, uh, about half that the year before, at the end of the year before. Um, the company is, as I mentioned, is its own anchor tenant. It, it uh, is operating today um, close to 7,000 cell sites and, uh, and has about six, over 60% of those cell sites on its own towers. And, and then obviously where it does not own towers, uh, it leases space from, space from other tower um, companies. Uh, between its, its, its own occupancy and, and about 2,400 co-locators, um, the company came in at year end with an average of 1.55 tenants per tower. Um, and that compares to a national average of about 2.3 tenants uh, per tower across the industry, you know, indicating, you know, U.S. Southern's predominantly small market coverage. So uh, nonetheless, they see that as an opportunity to grow uh, and add uh, tower occupancy. Um, it certainly on, a, on its own is expanding its 5G uh, coverage for, for both mobility and fixed wireless access in its service areas. And um, it sees um, uh, having towers as a, as an advantage uh, to support that that expansion. 
Uh, American Tower is still uh, you know, ranked as the leading independent tower company in the world. Uh, the um, the company grew its uh, tower count, its global tower count, to 2% um, from uh, a year ago to uh, over 223,000 uh, towers um, uh, at year end uh, 2022. India is the company's largest market, accounting for about 35% of the total, something like 77,000 towers in India alone. Uh, Africa and Latin America combined to make up another third. And its home US and Canada market uh, is accounts for 19% of um, its total sites, something in the order of 43,000 towers in the US and Canada. But, you know, its home market uh, you know, produces the majority of its uh, total property revenues, uh, accounting for about 48%. So that is the platform or the model that it's it's using that it it wants to expand internationally to um, uh, to to take those um, uh, arrangements that it has with its mobile network operator tenants and extrapolate that into uh, global markets. You know, it pointed out that it has a full portfolio of master lease agreements with T-Mobile, ATT, Dish, and most recently uh, Verizon. Uh, that gives it a strong base of leasing revenues and uh, a, a really a long runway of um, uh, activity over the next several years as all these companies continue with their uh, their network buildouts. <clears throat> um, they they typically put in place what we call holistic agreements, meaning rather than charging for every time uh, something needed needs any one of these tenants need to do anything on the tower. They set a price that includes and allows for activity, uh, either install or modify or upgrade those cell sites on those towers uh, for for a fixed price. Um, and that has been an attractive value proposition for the carriers as they as they roll out 5G and as we move into a, a what we're calling a densification cycle where we're putting more cell sites closer to customers either both on macro towers and and on small cells. And, um, you know, this type of arrangement, the company, American Tower believes that it can, it can scale across its entire global footprint. So um, right now it doesn't see any uh, strategic um, M&A activity, uh, but it's uh, maintaining a very active new tower build program. Since the beginning of 2018, uh, American Towers built nearly 26,000 sites in its international portfolio. Um, that's um, about two times more more uh, volume than the previous five years. Um, and these sites are producing um, um, generous revenues, about $250 million a year in tower cash flow and uh, very attractive returns. 2022 was a big year for the company. It built nearly 7,000 towers. Um, uh, internationally, uh, including 2,300 in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, it expects to invest about a billion and a half in another 4,000 new towers in 2023. And, and uh, how that breaks down is about 16 to 1,700 in each of Africa and India, about four to 500 sites in Europe, and a little under 300 sites in Latin America. So, um, you know, the company sees a lot of opportunity to expand and support the operators in these countries. And um, and uh, you realize pretty attractive returns as soon as those towers are built. So it expects to um, uh, uh, 
to grow revenues as a result of that, it's looking at about a 3% growth in the property revenue, about 10.8 billion and adjusted EBITDA up about 4% to nearly 7 billion. So the other interesting aspect of what the company talked about is its focus on building green sites, particularly uh, uh, an arrangement it has going on with Airtel in Africa. Uh, it has brought in about uh, solar into about 15,000 sites and has installed lithium-ion batteries in over 19,000 sites while reducing the uh, diesel fuel consumption at these sites um, cumulatively by about 5 million liters over the past several years. Um, in return, you know, uh, uh, American Tower offers this as what we call power as a service to the, um, to the carrier, in this case, Airtel. Um, that, that power as a service helps to maintain continuous powers at these sites while reducing carbon emissions. And it drives an incremental revenue stream that um, uh, the company can enjoy uh, uh, on top of its leasing revenue. So that's my tower story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thanks, John. That was really informative. So Jim, uh, Jeff Stoops had big news this week. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, Leslie, amidst all the quarterly reports, there's always the human element involved sometimes. After all, the number numbers have cleared and the smoke has cleared and all the numbers. Um, that uh, Jeff Stoops uh, of SBA, the CEO, will be stepping down at the end of the year. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Jeff a couple of years ago down in uh, Boca Raton at their, at their headquarters. And... Um, have known him through through the years uh, as uh, as an integral part of the the growth of SBA. Uh, he um, began with them way back in 1997. He was the executive vice president, general counsel, and um, then became the CFO during their initial public offering, which was in 1999. Uh, I hope you all invested heavily in that. Um, later, uh, he became president and, uh, and then finally became CEO in 2002, succeeding SBA namesake, Stephen Bernstein. So anyway, as during his tenure as uh, CEO, uh, SBA has delivered, uh, incredible returns, 16% of annualized growth, uh, uh, along the way and, um, you know, grow it from a uh, few dollars a share to, to uh, uh, now over 300. So um, it's been an incredible, incredible ride for Jeff is, is, and we wish him well in, uh, in his retirement uh, from SBA. Uh, the person taking over is Brendan Kavanaugh and he joined, he's no newcomer to the game either. Uh, he joined SBA back in 1998, and Brendan said in a sort of a handoff uh, to with with Jeff that he said it's been a tremendous privilege to work with Jeff from the very early days of the uh, wireless infrastructure industry and through all of their growth. So Kavanaugh takes over from uh, from Jeff Stoops, and we wish Jeff well in his retirement, and uh, wish. Uh, Mr. Kavanaugh continued success with uh, with running a company that um, uh, I'm sure Jeff Stoops can look back and uh, with with a lot of pride and, and as far as the the accomplishments of where it's come from uh, 
back in 1997. So good luck to all. Thank you, Jim. So Bloomberg recently reported the FCC is investigating allegations of ISPs providing the commission with inaccurate information for the agency's broadband coverage maps. Um, they had said it, they were qualifying it and said it's reportedly doing this, but in a letter to Congress this week, um, Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel confirmed, yeah, they are looking into that. These maps are important because they will enable NTIA to determine fund allocation and the locations to be funded through the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, shortened to BEAD. So Bloomberg reported on local officials questioning whether Verizon and T-Mobile had overstated their coverage. Ars Technical alleged that Comcast engaged in some misrepresentation. Um, and a former FCC official who now works with rural electric co-ops entering the broadband market published a blog alleging that Starlink, as well as T-Mobile, provided inaccurate information to the agency. That's according to New Street Research Policy Advisor Blair Levin. You'll recall Levin was chief of staff under former FCC Chairman Reed Hunt, who was chairman when the FCC was uh, implementing different legs of the Telecom Act. And he, uh, in a client note, he said, um, you know, New Street thinks it's likely that all the major ISPs will have some discrepancies because part of that is because of the inherent problems of mapping. And part of it relates to terms relating to coverage can be understood in different ways. But he thinks the commission would have a problem when it comes to determine, determining penalties because he said, there, uh, you know, because of the political optics of fining an ISP a small amount while that ISP is receiving a large amount of money to, to deploy a network based on a map for which the ISP provided bad information. He said, of course, the FCC could solve that by working with NTIA to require states from awarding grants to ISPs that misrepresented their mapping information. Um, but he think, uh, he and the rest of New Street thinks that's a possibility. However, it would diminish the competitive intensity for the grants and end up costing the bead program more money. So um, related to all this, remember I told you at the top of the story, Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel told senators that, yes, the FCC is looking into it. She was mostly responding to them. They had concerns about a deadline uh, to get the challenges in for the maps. And they're asking for a 60-day extension until March 14th. And she's saying the January 13th was a target date, and it's not really a deadline um, that um, the FCC is going to continually accept challenges to the maps and continually update the map. Um, the, uh, this letter was also written to NTIA Administrator Alan Davidson. Uh, 13 senators, mostly from the Commerce Committee, including uh, the chairwoman, Maria Cantwell, who's Democrat from Washington, said researchers in Washington state, for example, 
found that 60% of residences and businesses in a town on tribal lands were missing entirely from the map. And there were other, uh, there were other examples too. And Rosenworcel responded and said, researchers found that a significant number of residences and businesses in a town on tribal lands uh, were missing. And she said, my understanding from both your letter and from other sources is that these concerns relate specifically to the Spokane Reservation. And then she went into detail about what Microsoft's data showed. Um, and the 13 senators who signed the letter to both NTIA and the FCC were Maria Cantwell, leading GOP member Roger Wicker, Ben Ray Lujan, Martin Heinrich, Ron Wyden, Robert Casey, Gary Peters, Raphael Warnack, Jackie Rosen, Deb Fisher, Marsha Blackburn, Patty Murray, and John Hickenlooper. So that's a story that we're going to continue to watch because those maps are very important and how the ISPs determine coverage and how the FCC determine coverage is, is going to be a key thing. So Sharp, um, you were kind of busy this week too. What are you going to talk to us about? Well, I uh, thank you, Leslie. I thought I'd talk about the panel session that I uh, moderated at uh, Nate Unite 2023, which took place in Orlando uh, this week. And uh, uh, my my panel session was uh, uh, had to do with uh, the title of it was Bridging the Gap Between Mounts and Towers. And uh, it, it, uh, it featured several speakers, uh, Brandon Smith, uh, Senior Manager uh, Lease Services with American Tower, Lemmy Racinos, Senior Tech Manager with Collier's Engineering, Brandon Chapman, Engineer uh, with Valmont Site Pro One and Vic Allen, uh, principal with the National Tarp Management with AT&T. And uh, uh, basically we were talking about the, uh, uh, the fact that with the, uh, it's really, it's no, no uh, surprise with technology uh, really gravitating to the uh, top of the tower with with 4G LTE and uh, with the remote remote radio units being placed at the top of the tower, and uh, then with 5G, uh, the antennas getting bigger and uh, and uh, and increased amounts of uh, of uh, of coverage area and that type of thing, uh, that there's just more and more weight going to the top of the tower, and uh, uh, the the industry's uh, standard for uh, for for constructing towers uh, uh, TIA uh, two twenty two uh, it addressed uh, the mount failures that were happening uh, with uh, with Rev H and uh, and it's almost like you know they they uh, they increase the size of the of the mounts so they could handle. The, uh, the weight of the antennas. And uh, uh, so uh, they took care of that problem, but in turn, they created another problem that those larger mounts uh, 
uh, were not were not staying connected properly to the tower, and uh, so in uh, in rev revision I of uh, TIA two two two, the uh, the industry is working on uh, a an engineering standard to ensure that uh, that the connection between the the mount and the tower uh, does not fail, and. Uh, They've been uh, they've been working uh, 18 months on this uh, on this problem, and uh, uh, like I said, I, I moderated the panel and uh, was a little intimidated by you know working with uh, all these engineers and because uh, um, <laughs> you know there was a lot of a lot of firepower on that stage, um, and uh, uh, but engineers the are pretty thing, tame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's too smart for me. Uh, engineering, engineering department. I never got along in college, um, but uh, uh, what the thing that uh, that I really began began to understand while I was moderating the panel is uh, how much care uh, uh, these these engineers uh, were taking to uh, to make sure that their solution. Uh, was going to be workable in the uh, on the tower in the industry uh, among the tower climbers, and uh, so they were uh, uh, trying to make sure that whatever uh, whatever solution they came up with was was uh, not too aggressive, uh, wasn't too expensive. Uh, that while it would do the job, it wouldn't overdo the job, and. Uh, so I was, I was really impressive, impressed with how much thought they put into, uh, into the impact of, uh, of what, uh, what they were trying to, uh, to do. And uh, so uh, they, uh, their proposal is going to be voted, voted on. The REVI uh, uh, proposal is going to be voted on in May. And... Uh, then all things uh, going well, uh, we should have uh, a new uh, revision of, uh, of TIA uh, 222 uh, in, uh, by, either by the end of next, this year or the beginning of next. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a learning experience and uh, uh, certainly, uh, certainly enjoyed my time. Yeah, I sat in on the on the panel, uh, Leslie. Uh, it was a very good discussion, actually, and uh, and Sharp uh, navigated those uh, engineering guys pretty well. But uh, what impressed me was they showed some photos of the problem, uh, where you had antennas mounted high up on a uh, a lattice tower, and the attachment to the tower from the the mount the antenna mount caused the tower to bow to. They, they, what do they call it, Sharp? An S, an S shape. It created an S shape in, where it should be straight. Yeah. It actually caused an S shape in the tower, which obviously weakens the tower. Yeah. And could create a, a serious hazard. But um, uh, so what the the topic they were addressing was pretty important. And uh, like Sharp said, I, I think they they presented a, a pretty good case for how to how to address it. A good example of how one change can have a domino effect. Yeah, unanticipated, unanticipated effects, right. yeah. So you guys both went to the Nate show. Um, 
What are your thoughts about how it went? Um, well, I guess John just talked, so I'll, I'll jump in uh, this time. Um, um, the, uh, it had the highest uh, attendance uh, on record. It also had uh, 196 booths, uh, which was an increase in 30 uh, booths. Uh, you know, uh, Nate uh, just uh, continues to get larger. Uh, and I think it's uh, Nate Unite does, and, and Nate, I think the association, uh, uh, Nate, the Communications Infrastructure Contractors Association. Um, I remember uh, when they changed the name. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, uh, yeah. it's a world of acronyms, uh, but uh, uh, they continue to get better, bigger, and the show, I think, continues to get bigger because it does uh, uh, a really good job of uh, uh, providing programming that uh, that these people uh, need to do their jobs and to do their jobs safely, and uh, so. I'm always impressed with uh, with the sessions. I, I love it when I get to moderate one because they're the best attended sessions of any show that that you'll ever go to. Uh, even at eight o'clock in the morning on the third day of the show, uh, which is usually not a really good sign that uh, you're going to get a lot of attendance. We had a full room, probably between 100 and 200 people. Uh, so, uh, um, so yeah, there and the attendance. I think uh, they didn't know the final. Uh, numbers, but it was going to be somewhere up around maybe uh, um, 2,900, somewhere around like that. Uh, uh, so, um, so yeah, so it's a real pleasure to uh, to see the uh, the folks in the field and maybe 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 provide them a little information they need to be uh, to be safe on their job. I, I thought it was a terrific show. Uh, it was well organized. The venue was great. Lots of space. Like Sharp said, the uh, all the panel, all the um, discussion presentations and panels were held in rooms that could accommodate a lot of people. You know, uh, I had a panel the first day, and um, the room held over 300 people. We had probably two thirds of that full, and uh, a lot of good interaction, a lot of questions from the uh, audience because they're interested in the topics being discussed that are relevant to their jobs, and not not only from a, a safety point of view, but how to get certain things done and uh, uh, in different scenarios. And uh, it was an education for me. Um, you know, I've been in the industry a long time, but I've not worked in the field and climbing towers like a lot of the folks that were there on uh, attending the conference do. But um, no, I, I kudos to Nate. I think they they, they did a great job. Um, and um, I, I you know, the feeling I was getting and talking to people at the show is they were coming away with a, you know, pretty good sense of um, having learned something and, and having, uh, you know, enjoyed their time there. So um, I thought it was good. All right. Um, well, thank you all. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition. We will see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.